0: Right now, I'm so enjoying sitting here in the silence with you, and I'm anticipating giving a talk. <laughs> So much can get revealed in the silence, can't it? It's not always easy. We think revelation, probably before we came here, sounded like a really exciting word. But in our journey of waking up, it all gets revealed. It all gets revealed. In fact, it reminds me of um, a small verse by Emily Dickinson, North American poet who said it's not revelation that waits it's our unfinished eyes it's our way of seeing and this isn't just with our physical eyes it's not that revelation is waiting it's that we haven't learned to see fully yet we haven't learned to see correctly yet and practice is about learning to see see here is a Again, not just our physical eyes. The Buddha said something like, monks and nuns, the reason you keep spinning around in the same circles is because you do not see and know clearly. And spinning around in the same circles, that probably is a metaphor you all recognize. Repeating the same patterns. Or where life loses its freshness or uh, zeal or... Um, where we either dull or get fixed in relation to this life, thinking that we know what it is. And he said, because we do not see and know, and so we're learning how to see and know. Learning how to see and know. So I want to present a few pieces of the map tonight, the map that the Buddha offered. And he was quite good at maps. He had that kind of mind that when he saw clearly, seeing and knowing clearly, in such a way that was liberating for him, his particular kind of uh, being that he was was able to to do a really precise and clear map. And remembering as you hear the map, the map, just like when we get our ordnance survey map, It's not the territory. The map is not the territory. But there can be a way that we can listen to the map. We can listen about the map. We might argue with the map. We might love the map. We have various views, etc., of course. But as you hear pieces of the map, rather than just an intellectual consideration, that's a beautiful part of it, just consider how... That is or isn't relevant, whether you know that part through your direct experience now, whether you don't know that bit now, yet, and what's your response to the bits of the map that you don't know? Do you get interested? Do you push them away if you haven't experienced it? Just see. Just see. So here's some pieces of the map as best as I understand them. So first piece I want to uh, illustrate quite briefly, I think, is the formulation uh, that's often used in the teachings of a uh, three-fold path, where the Buddha talks about the three areas being sila, samadhi, and panya. And I'll translate Sila is ethics, which we spoke about the first night, the ethical foundation, that which we, we organize our behavior, we say no to certain things as a way to not cause harm, as a way, something beautiful in and of itself that supports this world, supports our mind, supports each other, that is wholesome, beneficial, and allows the mind to start to rest a little bit, a lot. This is sila, and I could we could speak for that about that samadhi. So, on this foundation of ethics, is the practice and skill of samadhi, the gathering of the mind, the, the non-fragmentation of mind, where the mind becomes present, where there's some presence of mind, and again, mind is chitta. Which includes the head center, but it's the heart and it's the whole resonant. Um, Thank you. Yeah, and I mentioned it last night. That which receives impression and can respond. That so that becomes firmer, less fragmented, less pulled and pushed, stable. As one teacher used to say, he said his senior students were like tofu. Which I always thought, oh dear, I don't think I want to do that path. That sounds terrible. I'd rather be, uh, you know, curry or something. But tofu—it's not the end of the path to become like tofu. We don't all become sort of bland and pale. Yeah. But something about that texture—that has firmness, that it also has flexibility and malleability, um, and it has presence to it. It has substance. And panya, the third piece of the sila, the samadhi, the panya, the wisdom, which isn't just about having a steady mind, it's about seeing the nature of things clearly, um, such that we understand, and as the wisdom deepens for ourselves, moment to moment, what pathways of heart and mind lead to suffering and which do not through direct experience, not through good ideas, the good ideas we may have practiced, but through, because there's a knowing, there's a direct knowing. It's a, yeah, there's a lot to say. <clears throat> so what happens on retreat is that we're practicing all of these. And one of the things that happens is that... Uh, we are left, one of the things, because of the retreat form, because you can't go and do what you like, um, one of the things we encounter are the tendencies of our own mind. Probably you've seen that already. It's actually quite a wisdom to already recognize that they're tendencies rather than the truth takes us some time to recognize that. For example, we might be sitting here in reactivity, for example, to me, let's say. And um, it may be several days, or it may take time before we realize that, yes, I might be irritating or annoying, but the suffering is happening in your location in that moment. So I can give an example. On um, one long retreat I sat... Um, one of the teachers I took a dislike to and she would give the instructions and I would get irritated and she would finish giving the instructions and I didn't like her and she'd gone and left and gone home probably and I still didn't like her and this started to proliferate. So what happens with Kirsten's teaching this morning about contact there was an unpleasant contact i wasn't aware what it was it may have been something that was happening already in my own practice and when something is unpleasant we tend towards aversion and that aversion tends to find an outlet now we can turn that on ourselves right the aversion is oh i'm wrong and bad and etc cetera, etc cetera. we turn it out and in this case uh, it was her she got it except she didn't Get it? It was actually happening in here. It was happening in here. And we proliferate. We haven't, or I hadn't seen the unpleasantness of whatever it was about the strain in my own practice, or I was missing something, or whatever it was. The unpleasantness tended towards aversion, and then we proliferate. Have you seen your mind proliferate? <laughs> proliferate. There's a lovely word in the teachings, papancha. It's where we start to build. We build based on contact that has gone under the radar. We haven't seen it. We've picked it up. The underlying tendency, in this case, to aversion, but it could be greed, it could be confusion, is picked up and I'm in a a mind-made world. She shouldn't be here, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, right? That kind of mind-made world. Somebody needs to say no, no, no took several weeks (laughs) (laughs) because I was so convinced it was the truth, (laughs) so righteous, Um, until at some point mindfulness, because we're practicing mindfulness, and this would happen in the morning sometimes, because the mindfulness is there and that tendency starts to get stronger because we're practicing it, So, there are skillful tendencies also. Skillful tendency starts to get stronger. At some point, she leaves the hall again looking fine. And there I am burning. (coughs) Burning. And the mindfulness suddenly gets it. Oh! Where's the suffering here? She looked fine. She wasn't suffering, she was actually a fine teacher. It wasn't about that. Here was the suffering. What could I usefully learn here? What can I learn rather than trying to fix her? What can I learn here? So there was the burning and the mindfulness woke up. Well the mindfulness there's a moment of mindfulness and I start to see clearly what's going on here? Oh it's aversion. So the proliferation starts to die back and I recognize it in that simple way. This is aversion. This is suffering. This is burning. Do I want to feed this? Well, yes, actually my tendency does want to feed it because I want to keep going with that way of seeing the world. But more deeply than that, I do not. So I'm going to speak a little bit tonight about what happens when we pick up certain tendencies, unskillful, and we can also pick up very skillful tendencies, skillful programs of mind that actually uh, broaden our territory such that we can start to handle some of these more uh, deep-rooted kind of things. (coughs) Excuse me. The metaphor is given sometimes with our tendencies, and here I'm talking about let's just say, unwholesome tendencies. Sometimes these tendencies aren't that deep. Some of them are like they're just little marks in water. You know, if you have a groove in water, then the water just flows over and it's gone. It's not a big deal. We don't have to work on it forever or put in loads of effort or work on ourselves forever and ever and ever and ever. Some of our tendencies, we see them and poof, it dissolves. Others, the metaphor is like like a line drawn in sand. It's a little deeper, takes longer for the water to flow through. And this metaphor you might recognise, and it's not just some of us, it's a little bit more like lines chiseled in rock. But do not despair. Because one of the things that we see and this isn't this just you, if you're sitting there thinking, yeah, that's me, probably everyone else is sand and water. No, that's another one of your tendencies, to count yourself separate, as if your dukkha was better than somebody else's dukkha, <laughs> actually. Painful one, actually, very painful one, very painful. So... um So here on retreat, we have less options to move away from our tendencies like we have at home. Whatever you do, if something difficult arises or greed, hate, or delusion arises at home, what do you do? Well, maybe you practice. Maybe you work with it. Maybe you switch on the telly. Maybe you buy pizza. You know, maybe you have a beer. Here we can't do those things. Pizza comes about once a year at Guy House. Here we, here we can't do those pla- we can't go to those places of discharge of getting our comfort in that way, and we're faced with this. And it feels like really bad news at first, but actually it's really, really good news. It's really good news, because our buttons get pressed. If we're interested in freedom, it's not that suddenly we kind of go poof and we're in some great free space, there is an aspect of practice that is working with these particular things. So buttons being pressed, have any of you had your buttons pressed? Um, Hopefully what happens here is that our buttons are pressed in such a way that we, we have a little bit more room around it. Often, in our life, we have, as Kirsten mentioned this morning, our button gets pressed, which really what that means on a meditative level is that um, either the contact is pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, and we have a predictable response button is pressed, this is the response. A really clear example as adults, we can be a little bit more sophisticated, but kids are a little bit more uh, uh, straightforward when their buttons are pressed very often. And um, I used to be a primary school teacher in London. And a uh, big sigh. <laughs> and um, uh, I remember being on playground duty. And uh, you know, probably you know that in, in many cultures in the world, but certain, certain, certain cultures have this as a particular kind of thing. If you insult somebody's mother, if you insult your mother, it's, it's fighting talk. Right, it's fighting talk. And this was the culture of the playground there. And I would be on playground duty, and there'd be a fight over there and a fight over there. And I'd go, "Okay, what's going on?" And one kid would say, "He called my mother a sparrow." <laughs> uh, okay, <laughs> okay, it wasn't my button. That was, but it was his button. That was his button, and. At, I mean, it's mean, really, it really goes to the heart. You know, we can see other people's buttons and think, oh. But when it's our button, it goes right to the heart of <laughs> our self and all our hurt and all our pride and all of our, all of our life is there. And at some point, it was very interesting to me. I broke up one fight and uh, I said, what happened? And this boy was, he said... He said, my mum. He didn't even say what his (laughs) mum. He just said, your mum. And that, that, in that playground culture, that was a really serious button. And the result was predictable. The response was predictable. All of that urge to protect my own my family, my tribe, my people, my loved ones, all of that energy came up into the hands and away they went. Are you more sophisticated? (laughs) What are you seeing here? What are you seeing here? Is it so different? We We may have the restraint not to act through the hands, at this point, sometimes maybe we don't. But we may see the same fires burning or the same desires burning or the same confusion burning. So here on retreat, we are left with seeing these tendencies. We don't always see them on contact, do we? As Kirsten mentioned this morning, we don't always see. oh, this is unpleasant, Okay. Let me tend to this. This is pl- this is pleasant. Often we know it by deduction because we've already spun. We're already in the reactivity in some way. We're left with the uh, uh, noble task of resting in the awareness that sees the tendency that sees the tendency, feels the tendency, sees the wish to proliferate the tendency and to understand the process of how that tendency can cease in its own time. Sometimes that time is, if it's a tendency in water, it's instant, it dissolves, it's not a big deal. Sometimes if the samadhi is strong and the level of perceiving is refined, it can dissolve right away. Sometimes it's more like there's a chiseled groove in the rock and we cultivate patience and forbearance and steadfastness and equanimity and, and it starts to change, not in our time frame. But there is a lawfulness through this willingness to keep attending, skillfully, actually. Somebody said today, actually, she said, oh, my practice has been a bit, I can't remember what she said, not terribly interesting the last few months, but something shifted today where she started to see the, um, she said, I always knew that I had a patterning to go to the future, all right, that my mind would I didn't tend to go to the past, I tend to go to the future planning and imagining. She said, But what I saw was not only do I go to the future, I have conversations in the future with people. I even know where they're gonna be and what you know, what we're wearing and what cafe we're in and and it's all gotten the thing gets constructed in the mind. And sometimes she said those conversations are really pleasant and I get a she said, and I get a nice feeling from them. They're not actually real. Sometimes they're terrible, painful, difficult conversations and I get an unpleasant feeling. What she saw though, through attending and feeling it directly, she woke up. She woke up to that tendency and the joy of seeing was not being bound in having to do either. Something about not being pulled by our mind and not being pushed by our mind, we love that, in whatever small or big ways we start to see that. So what might those things be for you here, where we can't act out or discharge? You know, let's say... um, um oh, maybe I don't need to give an example there um one example I have is on retreat knowing a, a little bit knowing about myself this is some time ago a little bit knowing about myself that I was someone who didn't really like to speak in large groups or ask questions in lectures or was a little bit and i th- And my idea was, oh, I'm just a bit shy, right? That's what we tell. We tell ourselves a label about that. On retreat, um, sometimes there'd be retreats where people would say, do you want to ask any questions? And I would always feel myself kind of freeze, right? Kind of knew that a little bit, but I just thought, okay, it's all right. It's the way it is. Until I was on a retreat where there was no teachers, it was a, personal retreat, listening to a Dharma talk on a tape in the library and the teacher on the it was t- tapes in those days said through my earplugs does anybody want to ask a question? So you have to bear in mind there was nobody there <laughs> and he said, does anybody want to ask a question? And I went Ugh! <laughs> <laughs> and it was like oh Oh, I get it. Here's a, here's a, that's what they mean about tendencies. I just thought that was how I am. I just thought that was the truth. This is a tendency. It has arisen due to certain conditions. Yeah, I could tell you all the conditions I know about and who knows about lifetimes. That's not important. Well, it is important, but that's not actually where we're working here. It's not where we're working here. We're working here of seeing that that would normally bind me. That would be a predictable response that I would have no freedom about. Freedom, in this case, working with it, does not mean I now have to push myself into all lectures and stick my hand up whether I like it or not. That's a kind of counterphobic response. Might be useful sometimes, but that's not Not through shoving myself, not through pushing myself, but I can see and start to work with that place in those conditions. So somebody says, do you want to ask a question? And I might actually find out whether I do or not, but I never knew if I did or not, because I would already freeze beforehand. And as that pattern starts to work and these tendencies, and it's really clear in the teachings and as we practice, they are not fixed. They feel fixed when we're spinning around them for the 24th year. They look fixed. But if we're willing to keep looking deeply, we see that they arise due to conditions. And they cease when those conditions are no longer there. And we'll explore that some more. So as we sit with our own heart and mind, with the ethics, with keeping the practice simple in the sense that this thread of samadhi we carry through. When in doubt, breathe out, follow the breath right to the end. This is always useful, beneficial, conducing to tranquility, widening, softening. And with the panya, with the wisdom, how to respond to conditions. Because how I respond to the conditions here is directly related to how I respond to the conditions there. Because we can't do a script of how to respond to conditions, but we can start to free up our habitual responses. And that's where freedom starts to be born. So the chitta, this sensitive, uh, responsive sensitivity that we are, can be conditioned and it has programs that are conditioned that run through. Right. That's what we see here. Citta, the chitta is also that sensitivity that can be really, really wide. When we're not just in a limited activation of a pattern, it can be wide, it can be spacious. The stillness that you experience at times is the chitta. The chitta is still like a clear forest pool. The chitta is the kindness also coming forth as this sensitivity. It is also that aspect that knows what is happening right now what we could call for now the awareness, that which knows clearly and distinctly what is arising right now, whether what is arising is wholesome or unwholesome, whether what is arising is pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, whether what is arising is that I've got caught in a spin here, or whether there is no spin and there is a widening and a deepening and a stilling and a resting. That which knows what is arising is not what is arising. That which sees the patterning and says, Oh, look, this is a tendency. That's not the tendency. That's already a huge step that is a fruit of practice where we can actually regard, witness and say, Ah, oh, I get it. It's like this. This is a patterning arising. It may not sound in the mind like a huge distinction, but the difference between becoming what arises in our mind, acting it out, believing it, spinning it, is a world apart from starting to recognize it. This is aversion. This is greed. This is confusion. This is joy. This is kindness this is spaciousness all our actions are like programs and we can have unskillful programs and we can have skillful programs and as my teacher likes to point out there is no enlightenment program it's not about getting the right program It's about understanding the nature of programming and taking our hands off. Yes, the relative wisdom is to see what is skillful and what is unskillful. And beyond that, the waking up, the awakening, the uh, ceasing of greed, hate and delusion is not a program. people have spoken about the unhooking from the tendencies. And when I use that word, it doesn't mean that it's unhooked forever. As somebody said today, she said, frustration arises, I unhook, I breathe out, and then frustration arises again. Mm -hmm. And then I get frustrated. And then I breathe out. Mm -hmm. And then frustration arises again. All right. So... It doesn't mean that thing has ceased without remainder. Ceasing, pattern ceasing without remainder is what is spoken about in awakening actually. Here we're learning how things arise and cease. How when we're not feeding something it does come to cessation actually. And some of those underlying tendencies can start to be seen and worked with but with those patterns uh, chiseled in the rock for example it may not be overnight those things will rearise and that's where we learn skillful programs like patience forbearance steadfastness equanimity those things where we can hang in there with ourselves and in as As practice goes by, the faith is deepened, as one person said today. Yeah, the faith is there today because I recognize I have faith in the possibility of healing. That's the word she used, healing, that that which has felt pushed down, fixed, stuck, and not moving has started to move. And that supports the faith. Someone else also recognized, oh, something's moving, and it was some... uh, Fear, actually. Fear started to move. And I said, how is it to see that? And she said, gives me hope. And isn't that strange in an ordinary way of thinking about things? Fear arising and you feel hopeful. But it's because in that moment, she's recognizing that the movement itself, the freeing up of our clenching, our pushing, our Consuming is what delights the heart, is where that sense of possibility opens when we start to see it's not fixed and my way of responding is not fixed either. So... What happens, or what do we do when we notice, when you notice that you're already caught in a spin? Let's say, and spin is the word I'm using for um, you know what it's like to be caught in a spin. You've sat here for five, for three, four, five days. You, a mind spin where we're spinning some story about either what's happening now or about our life. Um, or about ourself. He's like that, she's like that, I'm like that, the world's like that. That's Mara, that's delusion. And cursed, somebody spoke about it, about any way that we're, attributing, I think Kirsten's mentioned it this morning in the instructions, where we're attributing some kind of inherent characteristic to myself or the other. (coughs) Our conventional mind wants to know. So are you good or bad? Are you right or wrong? Am I acceptable or unacceptable? And whenever we land one way or the other, it's Mara. Delusion keeps wanting to tell us who we are. We're great. We had a nice sitting. We were still. Every, everybody else was wriggling around us. And we are <laughs> the one. <laughs> the the Buddha to be just as yet unrecognized. Like that story Ian I read the other night. Soon they'll see. Right? So there might be something where we spin the yarn, that yarn, It's actually also very painful. It gives us a little glow for a moment but it's very painful because we have to come down. It's not the truth. Yes, we are noble and beautiful beings but so is everybody else actually. right? We'll have to come down from that and there'll be a kind of a dropping and a dying and a... Or it might be The more negative stories that we have about ourselves or each other. So, what to do when we're in the spun state, when we've already spun, we've missed the contact, we didn't know that Uh, we were putting ourselves under pressure in the meditation, and the body was contracting around that and it was unpleasant, and the underlying tendencies to aversion, or let's let me give an example to do with desire all my examples tend to be to do with aversion because it's my specialty subject um but let's say with desire um I have a nice meditation it starts to feel good and I start to spin and weave the story around that and I'm planning I'm planning my next retreat and I've or let's say let's say here I know an example let's say um one of the one of the tender, tender spins we can do is what can and some, sometimes be called a, a vipassana romance where there's someone we've taken a shine to. It's very sweet. But it might all be in our head. And and we don't know if it's in their head and we hope it is. And um we might be spinning that and it even might feel delightful. It's very tender. And we're spinning and we're proliferating. So something pleasant happened. We pick it up. We spin and the fantasy is there of the, the little house. <laughs> <laughs> and we could even have those flowers that they have at Guy House and that would... You know, I don't want to ridicule this at all because it's a very tender heart that does that in a way, right? And we even see that their shoes were next to our shoes in, the, in their... In fact, their shoe was leaning on my shoe. And, and we make a lot of meaning out of the contact. And we're not really here, but we feel very sweet. and So we're in the spin. Now, that's a harder spin to want to come out of. With aversion, it's so painful. At some point we go, ouch. With this kind of desirous fantasy, it's harder to see the suffering in it, actually, until we speak to them at the end of the retreat or, you know, whatever. But we can, we can, we can, we can reach cessation before that, if we're willing. I'm in the spin. Can I acknowledge, this is a spin, it's actually a mind-made world here. When I acknowledge the spin, this is already huge. I'm already saying, actually, I already have the objectivity and the wisdom to say, this is fantasy, this is not reality. There's a kind of sober. Maturity in that, that might at first feel like it's spoiling all the fun. We breathe out, we acknowledge the spin, and we keep alive the thread of awareness, the thread that can see that which knows what's going on. This is the spin. We keep faith with the knowing. Oh, this is spun. Wow, there's a whole world spun right there. We don't need to snap back to the breath. I shouldn't be spinning. It's bad to spin. I shouldn't be so silly to have a fantasy. And we snap back to the breath. That's what is called a counter spin. It's another spin. Based on the idea I shouldn't be doing this. I should be doing something else. More tension, more contraction, more pain, more dividing our mind, more fragmentation, more stress. We don't have to spin to the breath. Keep alive the awake thread that is seeing clearly and breathe right there. Oh, this is spun, this is desire. And as we stay steady and breathe right there, not feeding the momentum of the spin, it's like a plate that's been spun, you know on the circus thing where you have those little upright things and you spin the plate. It's got a momentum. We've given it a momentum and when something has a momentum, it doesn't cease immediately. And that's hard to bear. When we snap back to the breath and yank ourselves around, we can push it away and breathe. But we haven't dealt with it yet. right? If we can stay steady with the awake thread, we watch the plate that's been spun, the momentum of it start to topple. You know, when the plates, when you stop spinning them, they start to go like that and it might feel wobbly, and there might be a reaction of, no, I want to, and he said, and he looked, and we want to keep it going. We see that stay with the aware thread, not feeding the momentum, and it starts to topple. And it can feel like something's dying back, like we're dying, like it's an out-breath, like we're losing something, it can feel like. Even with the aversive tendency or the deluded tendency, it can feel like we're losing something when we stop spinning. And what are we losing? We're losing that familiar self who's gotten created in that moment. We are losing that delusion. And that takes steadiness, steadfastness, And some samadhi, some presence, some sitting in our seat to watch that dissolve in its time. Sometimes we can't acknowledge the spin. We're too identified with it. We've become it. It might be a very old, painful patterning from our life or some old things that are coming and arising to be handled and held kindly with wisdom. And at first, or for some time, we may identify it, we may become it, the distressed person or the um, uh, fill-in what it might be for you, where you've identified with it, which means you've become it, you believe it to be the truth, right? One measure, one way we can tell whether we can stay with it or not is can I breathe here? Can I acknowledge the spin and can I breathe? And it doesn't mean you have to perfectly breathe, but it can a little bit of breath come through this contraction. And if it can't, we might need to back off and turn our mind to something else that's skillful right this would be skillful means i'm not ready with this particular patterning with this particular formation i'm not ready just to stand here and witness the deconstruction i'm it's too much i don't have enough steadiness in that moment we can respond skillfully let's say it's aversion in the in the in one later text uh, it talks about human beings generally being a little bit more prone to one of these unwholesome tendencies than another right so more prone to greed or more prone to hatred or aversion or more prone to confusion delusion which I haven't said much about but if I briefly say it's like we can't land it's the kind of patterning that goes into the cake shop and goes I-, I want that one and I want that one but I don't want that one and I don't know which one I don't know which one I want the aversive type of person goes into the cake shop and doesn't want any of them none of them are good enough the greedy person wants all of them all right the confused person is In that moment, it's it's hard to land on something. It's like there's no grounds, but lost. And we can say more about that. We we have all of them, all of those tendencies, and they're not who we are, right? They're not who we are. But we can usefully know: am I a little bit more prone here or there or there? Right. And in one of the later texts, it says, for the monks more prone to aversion, outside their little kuti, outside their little hut, they should have nice flowers growing. Right? When the mind is prone to aversion, looking at the pretty flowers can gladden the heart, can provide some relief, some perspective. For the monk who is more prone to greed, he shouldn't have any pretty flowers. Mm. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of painting it little broad strokes here. It's more like what's a skillful response to the particular conditions that I'm working with right now. So it might be I'm stuck in a pattern and I go and play with a bunny out there, right? It's wholesome. It's beneficial. It might really support your mind to go and sit with one of the rabbits or touch the tree. You know, open the contact out when we're not, and not just when we're not able to breathe with the formation, but turning to skillful resources that are nourishing, that are beautiful, that are uplifting the heart. Or if we're a little bit more, find ourselves in, in a more hungry mind, you know, the more kind of hungry mind searching for something here, and we're kind of prowling around Guy House hungry for something don't know what it is but I'm hungry for at least a note on the notice board I'll go and check to see if there's a note for me or maybe they'll put out cake tonight and I'll hover around the kitchen and, and if we notice that tendency more then we might skillfully take ourselves away from the kitchen If we're not able to stand with awareness with the patterning that's arising and watching it, kindly touching it as it comes to cease in its own time, as the momentum dies, dies down, we can do many other things. We can practice low kindness. We can go for a walk. We can... Um, get some support we can practice the paramis so I've talked about unwholesome tendencies but there's many more wholesome tendencies that we can practice give energy to we can go and bake a cake for our neighbor we can um, you know give money to a busker we can open out the field and not always have the view that I have to work here Right, no, not always. sometimes we might need to really widen. in fact, this is a representation. this is the truth we're we're totally dependent on one another here to respond to our world in a certain way, to serve, to um cultivate the beautiful tendencies, <coughs> but here you can't bake a cake in fact, one time <laughs> one time one. One person who was on staff sat a retreat, this is 20 years ago or something, sat a retreat and decided he wanted to bake um, pancakes with bananas and chocolate for everyone for breakfast one day, which is a lovely idea, but the teacher told him off. Um, We're not doing that here. We get to even see those responses. But what we can do here is things like, you know, wash up the cups for someone, Pick up a few leaves in the garden. You know, do something that's, that's for, the, for the community in a way. And seeing that also myself one time, recognizing that there would be a skillful response if I, somebody had left a whole bunch of cups by the washing up area and I could feel that mean, that mean tendency. Do any of you have that? Mm-hmm. That like, why should I? There was this lovely thought that arose, hey, I could just wash up those cups. And then there was this, why should I? Someone else left them. And anyway, I don't want to be a goody-goody. And <laughs> yes, yes, thank you very much. Actually, what do I want to support here? Not that you should wash the cups, not that you're going to be a better person for washing the cups, but what do I want to support in my own mind here? What do I want to invest in? And that's where the mindfulness, we can start to choose what I'm investing in, in any moment. When we're awake and the mindfulness gets its own momentum and we start to wake up in the midst of the plate spinning, in the midst of our, perhaps we have a tendency towards generosity that's just being acted upon. And we wake up there, ah, this is what's happening. There's generosity arising effortlessly here. Celebrate. Enjoy it. Rejoice. I'm having a deluded moment. I can't choose which bit to to <laughs> to pick up. Here, there's like three little sections left, and it's really, I'll just offer one. And it's kind. Of, my mind's going. Hmm, how does that decision happen? So I don't know how all this sounds to you, whether it sounds like hard work or, oh my God, I bet I've got more grooves ch- chiseled in rock. Um, really just watch what your mind does with it or if you pick up and spin with this, right? We'll pick something up and we'll, we'll make our story about ourself up about this. Oh my goodness, the past's gonna be endless eons or oh, I can't do it, I don't know what she's talking about. Coming back and remembering that when we're in, in this very moment we're not asked to pick up the whole map. We're asked to be daringly simple with ourselves. Daringly simple with ourself. Not having to look now for your patterns and tendencies. That which is seeking is another tendency. Not needing to pick up your patterns or tendencies or go look for them now. That's a project you've got to work on now. No. Dare. Daring, because the courage of taking a step on this earth in full mindfulness is where, you know what it's like when you let your foot touch the earth and your weight is given back in that moment to the earth. In that moment you have relinquished past and future. This is a gesture actually of courage. You're not picking up your reference points about who you are and what's right and what's wrong. The faith in that moment is such of giving myself back to the earth in this step, in this breath. Do you dare to be that simple? And when something has gotten picked up and spun and we become awake to it, that's what we attend to. Or when we see a moment of contact with the ear, sound that's unpleasant. Let's say our roommate snoring in the night. Oh, it might not be unpleasant. Might evoke compassion for you. I don't know. Or did you hear that deluge this morning? In the, I think it was the first sitting, or maybe it was the second. It was bucketing down, and it was kind of dripping from the concrete. And we might recognize that the contact might be pleasant for you. We don't know. You have to stay current. That's the beautiful thing with this. It's not, it's not, when we're interested in the territory of freedom, it's not predictable. Someone was speaking today about staying with something that was neutral and it turned into pleasant. So was it neutral or pleasant? If we're willing to be curious, the world opens up for us. Daring to be that simple. We do ourselves a favour and we do our world a favour. So I want to finish with a poem if I've brought it. <laughs> ah. And it's um, from Rilke and uh, it's called Buddha in Glory, Buddha in Glory. So just before I read it, just watch if there's anything that's picked up something from the talk and postponed your awakening until your rocks have lost their chisel marks. Remembering that the simplicity of the practice is actually the awakening is here and now, and we can get a taste for really what's being pointed to. It's not all about patterns and tendencies, it's knowing them so that we can leave them alone skillfully and know what is being pointed to in the teachings. Buddha in glory. Center of all centers, core of cores, almond, self-enclosed and growing sweet. All this universe, to the furthest stars and beyond them, is your flesh, your fruit. Now feel how nothing clings to you your vast shell reaches into endless space and there the rich, thick fluids rise and flow, illuminated in your infinite peace. A billion stars go spinning through the night, blazing high above your head, but in you is the presence that will be when all the stars are dead. So let's sit for a minute together. And what he's speaking about in this poem is much closer to you than any of the grooves in our mind. Centre of all centres, core of cores, almond, self-enclosed and growing sweet. All this universe to the furthest stars and beyond them is your flesh, your fruit. Now you feel how nothing clings to you your vast shell reaches into endless space. And there the rich, thick fluids rise and flow, illuminated in your infinite peace. A billion stars go spinning through the night, blazing high above your head. But in you is the presence that will be when all the stars are dead.